You know what my favorite part of Thanksgiving is? Let me show you. This is Uncle Jerome, but we just call him Uncle Butters because he puts butter on everything. Regina, it tastes like the Great Depression. This is my niece Lorraine, and oh, I don't know her. Uh, Lorraine, who's your friend? Happy Thanksgiving, Lorraine. Meet Unc. You know that family member that always says inappropriate things? Yeah, this is ours. Hey, Benny. What's the difference between a doctor, a lawyer, and a toilet? And we're moving quickly. Oh, I haven't had direwolf meat this delicious since I dined with the Wizards of Pandoria a fortnight ago. This is my nephew, Derek. He still lives at home, and he's into role-playing. Patreon! Partake of this most delicious of smoked meats. Definitely not my favorite part. This is my cousin, Rachel. Hey. You remembered! Pumpkin pie's the best! You're the best. <laughs> hey, grease those wheels up. We're gonna race Annie Joan down the hill after dessert. Hey! Who took my pumpkin pie? It was right here! You savages! Don't worry, he'll be back. Thanks, honey. This is it. This is my favorite part of Thanksgiving, taking out the trash. I know what you're thinking. My family's kind of a mess, and we are. But that's not why this is my favorite part of Thanksgiving. You see, breaking away for just a moment, it gives me the opportunity to remember how much God has blessed me, and to realize that generally he uses messy people to do it. For instance, Lorraine always invites people over who need a little encouragement. She is the hands and feet of Jesus, even if those hands are texting most of the time. Derek is different, but he's also the first one to help anytime someone needs a hand. Unc, he's not even really family. He's just a close friend, and he makes me feel better about myself. Regina and Jerome may be high maintenance, but when the recession hit, they paid my mortgage for a few months. When we're all packed in the house together, I tend to forget the, the good stuff. So, taking out the trash, it just gives me a, a moment out here. And I remember God loves us, how much he's blessed us, no matter how big a mess we are. It doesn't take much, just a moment or two. That's all it takes to thank you. Who are you talking to, Benny? See this, Benny? Do you see this? Somebody threw away a perfectly good piece of pumpkin pie in the trash. Hooligans. They're all hooligans, I tell you. Back in my day, we didn't have pumpkin pie. We had squash. We had to crunch those up and put paprika and cinnamon on it. Nasty, but we ate it. This is pumpkin pie. This is the real deal. Don't throw it away. 
You keep it, you eat it, you save it, you freeze it. So you know what makes Jesus so special? It's what he does with the trash. And that's what you're going to read about this week in The Essential Jesus. You know that we have been are in the process of focusing on 100 readings out of the Old and the New Testaments to describe who Jesus is. This week, you'll be focusing on readings 26 through 30, and you say, well, I haven't been keeping up. Well, just start now and stay with us. And you say, well, I haven't, I haven't even gotten a book. We encourage you today to stop by the media desk. The books are $10. They're going to take us all the way up to Easter. And you say, well, I don't even have $10. Then just ask them for one as a gift because it's ours to give to you. And we want you to join with us because what happens is that every week when you come here, one of our teaching team will talk about one of those passages that you'll be reading that week and, and tell you something about Jesus. And each of those readings helps us to understand something perhaps we didn't know before that, that will help shape us into the person that God has designed for us to be. So let me encourage you to join with us, and we're going to read through this week, 26 through 30. So if you go down I-79 and head south and you get off at the Edinburgh exit, and you get down to the foot of the exit before you turn left to go into Edinburgh, chances are you'll see a lady standing there, and this time of the year she's wrapped up. She used to stand down near Kuntz Road here in town. She's all bundled up and she has a sign that says something along the lines of homeless. Anything will help. So when you see her, where is she in your world? If Bill Cosby is guilty of what he's been accused of, where is he in your world? You know that, that lady or that man that you see, and when you see them, you really want to detour, you don't want to talk to them because they really irritate you. You know who they are? Are they here? Don't look. <laughs> Where are they in your world? So mine was a guy in, in Gresham, Oregon, and he would come to our community of faith, and he'd see me, and, and, and I would just really hope that somebody would, would head him off because he would come, and he would just irritate me. And, and so one morning, he trapped me. I couldn't get free. And he said, you know, I've been thinking about you, and, and I think that, that God has a message for you, and I've got that for you. And to be honest with you, at that moment, my thinking was, those words, I'm sure, will end up right there because there will be no worth in what he says. And then he began to tell me some things that only God would know that penetrated me deeply and actually gave me the courage to face a tough moment I was going through. See, what makes Jesus so special is that he views people different than I do. And sometimes that really irritates me. It bothers me. And then I remember that I'm probably the guy in somebody else's trash. Jesus had been baptizing in the Jordan River and God applauded, and the Holy Spirit said, ready, set, go, and he began to teach. The people were amazed. 
They, they praised him for what he was saying. And his reputation began to go all through the region. And so with that, with that happening to him, he heads back home to where he was raised, and he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they understand what's been happening, so they invite him to be the guest lecturer, and so he stands, as the teacher would, and they reach in and pull out the scroll of Isaiah, and they give it to him, and he goes through the scroll, and he comes to this one place called Isaiah 61. You'll read it this week. And here's what happened. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, for the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? The audience recognizes those words because those words are the words that they attached their hope to because they understood that God was going to send one, an anointed one, one called the Messiah, who would fix their world. And Jesus uses those words, and when he gets done, he says, and by the way, it's me. And they loved it. They all spoke well of him. They were, they were amazed at the God-graced words that came from his lips. And they said, isn't it great because he's Joe's boy, one of our own hometown boy does good. Our son, Chad, years ago, he was dating a girl, and, and not from here, and, and I'll just give her the name Allie. And he brought Allie home, and, and we got to know Allie, and to be quite frank with you, Allie was really spoiled. In fact, Allie would tell you that she was spoiled. In fact, Allie expected that everyone would treat her as if she was spoiled because she wanted to be spoiled some more. So we had this, this standing joke with Allie. We would say, Allie, the world. <laughs> this audience that's listening to Jesus is audience the world. And at that moment, they're about to discover that Jesus is going to redefine their world and how to fix it. Because you see, they understand that Jesus did not read all of Isaiah 61. For some odd reason, he stopped, and this is where he stopped. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He got that, but this is the one he missed. And the day of vengeance of our God. They said, yes, yes, you need to heal our world. You need to take care and fix my world and anything that is outside my world you need to get rid of, and especially the Romans, so bring vengeance on them. What they didn't understand is that Jesus was not going to trash the Romans, and he was not going to lead them in taking back their world. In fact, what he's about to show them is that the homeless lady in Edinburgh And the guy that you duck away from every time you see him, and Bill Cosby, if he's accused and found guilty, and the Romans are all part of our world. 
not outside our world, because that's the way that it was in the very beginning. Because if you remember, when those angels sang on that night in Bethlehem, when they declared, the scripture tells us this, that the angel said, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for who? Everybody where? Everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town, a Savior who is Messiah and Master. And what makes Jesus so special is this, that he's everybody's Messiah. See, the Messiah we're getting is so much better than the Messiah we're looking for. I was seated at a gate waiting for a plane. And I was pretty pumped because I had worked really, really, really hard and paid a little extra to get the perfect seat and to board early. We're getting close to boarding, and the lady, the gate agent, came on the intercom and said, we're sorry to announce to you that the aircraft is broken and we have to fix it. And therefore, we will be delayed. And everybody groans, and I'm going to miss my connecting flight. A few minutes later, she came back on and said, I got great news. We have found another aircraft. It'll be here shortly, and we'll be on time. Everybody cheers. And then she says this. And just so that we can get off on time, we are going to forego the usual boarding process. Just get up here as soon as you can and find whatever seat you want. I said, no. You're messing with my world and my order. You don't spend time with Jesus for very long until you understand that he messes with our world and with our order. By reading the first two verses of Isaiah 61, Jesus cuts to the chase. He rips off the fluff. He comes down to the bottom line, and he said, this is my mission. And his mission will mess with our world. In our world of pecking orders and success and stuff, Jesus makes pretty clear that our success is just fluff. Our pecking order is a sham. Our stuff just covers our poverty. Many of us mourned on August the 11th when news got out that Robin Williams died, an incredible comedian. And if there's anybody that was in the front of the line with success, with celebrity, and with stuff, it was Robin Williams. But he chose to leave this world because evidently there was something missing inside here. And so we grieved with him because he was a good man. And because most of us can identify with that poverty, that we know that although we have these things and we've, we've achieved the success, there's still something that is gnawing deep down inside of us. Something is still missing. And in response to that, Jesus arrives and says, I'm your messenger. I've got good news. I've got good news for the poor, the people without. I've got news for the cursed. I got news for the last. I've got news for the trash. I've got news for the standby passenger. That you are not in some pecking order and that you feel like you're at the end of the line and maybe you'll catch the flight, but more than likely you'll be left behind. 
The good news is this, that when you journey with Jesus, everybody gets a good seat. You say, but wait a minute, you don't understand this. I, I don't even think I can travel with Jesus because I made some really, really bad choices. Did you hear his words? He said, I came to set the captive free. So hear me really clear this morning. You do not have to stay trapped in your bad choices. Because when Jesus proclaimed this, it first was identified with those people who were in exile in the Babylonian captivity. Because of their bad choices, they were, they were taken away and put in a foreign land. But Jesus said they will return, and they did. And he says, the same is for you. You will not be trapped in your bad choice. It's like Thanksgiving, and you're not home. And you remember your mom's turkey and that, that homemade stuffing and those yams, those mashed potatoes and that great gravy that has no calories and creates no cholesterol. <laughs> the green bean casserole, the cranberry sauce, and the pumpkin pie with the perfect crust, and you eat the pumpkin first and save the crust for last. And you're not there because you got kicked out, and you deserved it. And Jesus arrives not to tell you that you deserve it and not to bring vengeance, but he said Jesus arrives to tell you that he's come to take you home. You say, how can that be because of what I've done? Did you hear him say? He proclaimed, now is the year of the Lord's favor. Some call it the year of the Lord's jubilee. The description of that is found in the Old Testament in Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 15. And it simply was this, that when they came into the land that God had promised them, he said, now, grow your crops, take care of the vines, get the fruit, enjoy it. Year one, year two, year three, year four, year five, year six, but on the seventh year, you will not touch that land. But what will we eat? Because in the sixth year, I will give you a bumper crop that will cover the seventh year, because in the seventh year, you let the land get a fresh start. Now, at the end of the seventh year, now catch this, the end of the seventh year, all debts are forgiven and especially those who ran into poverty while still owing. Now, let's find this passage and mail that to PNC Bank. <laughs> All debts are forgiven. Why? Because everybody gets a fresh start. And on the 50th year, the year of the Lord's favor, the Jubilee, all land goes back to the original family owners so that your past mistakes, your bad decisions will not keep you as a second-class citizen, will not put you in a place where you are in poverty, will not ostracize you or keep you isolated, but instead the debt will be released and you as a family and as a nation get a fresh start. That is good news. So I could tell you 
I could tell you the most horrible sin I've ever done. Pam knows what it is. I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> but I could tell you how it defined me. And I honestly could tell you the poverty it created in me. Because I came to the conclusion that possibly God could forgive me, but he would never like me, and he would never bless me. Until I recognized by his revealing his scripture to me, and that's why we encourage you to always read the scriptures because he reveals himself, and especially Jesus, because Jesus is how God feels about us. And I recognize the fact that Jesus is the year of Jubilee. That my debt had been forgiven. That the life I traded for my sin was given back to me. I get a fresh start. Now, it's true that the history of my sin will remain with me, but it is not my destiny. That Jesus did not leave me in the trash. That the Messiah I get is not the Messiah that I expected. Now, you would think that would make people happy. But Jesus' mission is appealing to those in need, but appalling to those who are challenged by his radical agenda. Because we are so human that we will say, Jesus, you take me out of the trash. Thank you, but don't take them out because they don't deserve it, because they're not in my world. So Jesus responded this way. I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. And yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to, to the brow of the hill in which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through, and the crowd went on his way. Pastor John and I have been to that cliff, and it's a long drop. Jesus is almost tossed over the edge because he reminded them that those great prophets of Elijah and Elisha were sent to serve and to heal, not Jews, but non-Jews, the trash people. Now, this crowd around Jesus do 180. No longer do they think he's wonderful. And they are so livid, so angry, that they want to kill him. Because Jesus rescues the wrong people. So I have a question for us today. Who's in your trash? I had some friends, and we were together, and we met this guy, a young man who's in the parliament of a Middle Eastern country. And so we had this conversation regarding Jesus. And he says, I like Jesus. In fact, I will tell you, I love Jesus. 
In fact, I will tell you that I have put my faith in Jesus to forgive me for my sins. And we're all rather shocked. And then he says, now I know what you're thinking. You're going to ask me if I'm a Christian. I am not a Christian. I'm a Muslim. Now you hear him and you say, well, what do we do with that? He's not of our world. So do we trash him? Because it's very obvious that Jesus is doing something in his life and he's trying to determine and figure out how Jesus works in his Muslim life. And if I pay attention to Jesus, that man in his Muslim world is still part of my world. And so do I negate what Jesus is doing in his life as he sits down with his family, because when they get together, they don't, they don't look like the Duck Dynasty family having dinner together? Quite honestly, much of my life still doesn't look like Jesus. And yet Jesus has the patience to transform me. But what happens to my transformation when I trash others? Jesus makes it clear that if we resist Jesus' grace for others, it will negate Jesus' action in us. So months later, Jesus goes back to his hometown for round two in the synagogue. Remember I told you that, that they were amazed and they said, oh, this is Joseph's son? Same words this time around, only it's not with a positive context. It's they are amazed at his audacity to be back. And secondly, they're saying, this is just Joe's kid. He's nothing special. They are still offended at who he rescues. And so this is what transpired. And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in his own town and in his own house as a prophet with honor. And now catch this. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. To limit Jesus in their world is the same to limit Jesus in my world because we are in the same world. So Jesus says, I've got good news. I am your year of Jubilee. I'm here to give you a fresh start. You are not trapped in your bad decisions. Your debt has been forgiven. The life that you traded for your sin can be given back to you. Your, your sin will still be in your history. People will remember it, but it will not be your destiny. The Messiah that you're getting is not the one that you're expecting, and that is the good news. So what do we do with that? Well, I think we need to answer three questions this morning. The first is this. Who have I put in my trash? Who's the person that you just knocked outside of your world? Who's the person that you ignore? Who's the person you don't even care about? Who is that, that person that, that when you hear about their political stance, you just throw them aside, or their sexual orientation, you just throw them aside? 
their religious affiliation, you throw them aside. The, the angry person that just bothers you, that boss that you just know hates you, that husband who's so mean to you, those parents who you felt have not really done a good job of parenting you. If we negate what Jesus can do in their world, it negates what Jesus can do in my world. So who's in your trash? Second question, what is Jesus doing for them right now? Because Jesus is always doing something because he said, I'm not willing that any should perish. I don't want anybody left in the trash. So what's he doing? And thirdly, the question is, what should I do to accommodate it? What does Jesus want me to do about it? Because I can't just leave them in my trash. Because you see, that is his mission. And if we're followers of Jesus, then that is our mission. So it comes to this place for some of you in here today. Some of you are dealing with this because you're a follower of Jesus and you know what it's like to have your debts paid and a fresh start. And some of you are sitting here saying, I, I, I don't know that. And it would be a shame for you to walk out of here without beginning that journey with Jesus to get rid of those debts. To get rid of, of the stuff that, that you think about that you just wish you hadn't said, or you wish you hadn't done, the people you wish you hadn't hurt, the things you said to God. Jesus is your year of jubilee. That today, at this moment, in this place, you could say, Jesus, I want to put my faith in you. I'm going to trust you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all impurity. Faithful to the covenant, to the agreement that Jesus would be our jubilee. That you can now, today, have that forgiven, and you today can have the life back that you traded for the decisions you made previous. It's a simple step of just putting your faith in him. And it becomes a public thing eventually. Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before the Father, I'm ashamed of, or before the world, I'm ashamed of you before the Father. So it's, it's a deal that, that will start inside, but it will become evident. So on the beginning of this week, this week that we say is Thanksgiving, wouldn't it be a great thing for some of us that are in this place today to give thanks to God that he just got rid of all my debts. I think it'd be a great thing. So in just a moment, I'm going to have you stand. I'm going to ask you to do it reverently and nobody peel out of here. The restaurants will wait for you. It's 1120. You've got plenty of time. You never thought I'd preach this short, did you? See? That's one thing you can be thankful for. But in just a moment, we're going to stand, and I'm going to invite you just to turn to the person next to you because, because we're declarers of Jesus' mission, which is this is a year of Jubilee where you get to come back home. And I'm going to invite you to turn to the person next to you and just say to them, would you like to come home to Jesus? And if that's you, just say, yeah. And then you and the person who asked you are going to just come together because we do this as community, and we're going to pray a prayer together, not going to single you out or embarrass you. But it's the beginning steps the first steps to walking in a relationship with Jesus and recognizing that you don't have to carry those debts anymore. 
Because there's an enemy that got you to that place, and he wants to keep telling you that you will never, ever get past your bad decisions. You will be stuck forever in your poverty. And Jesus is here. Jesus said, I became poor. I died for you so that you could become rich in life. Not that you could drive that Jaguar, and if you got it, God bless you. Come see me later. I'd like a ride. He didn't promise you that, but he did promise you a life fulfilled the way that he designed it. You say, I don't even know the person next to me. Well, we're, we're community. You're about to, to find out. And shame on you during the five-minute greeting. You didn't greet them. So I'm going to invite you now just to stand. Please do that reverently. And now I want you to turn to the people around you and say, would you like to come home to Jesus? And as they say yes, just you and the person you ask, just come and join me right here just for a moment of prayer. Would you do that? Just turn to each other. Galleries, balcony. If you're not close to somebody, you walk over to them. Come join me right here. Come on. Because I really believe that's happening this morning. There we go. Come on. That's good. Yeah. Come just join me right here. Very good. And I just want you, because sometimes in a new place, you go, I'm afraid of what you guys are going to do to me. I'm not sure anybody else is going to come down there. I'm, a, I'm an introvert, and I don't want to. But now you say, I wish I would have, because I just really need that, that movement of faith. So I'm going to ask you to just turn to the person next to you again one more time and say, are you sure? And then if you want to change your mind, just come on down. Go ahead, turn to each other and say, are you sure? That's it. That's great. So this is the beginning of a journey for you. And we're all walking that journey. But I can tell you that I messed up royally. But Jesus is so wonderful about helping me be forgiven and help me become a better man. He doesn't leave me the way I am. He always changes me because I need to be better. Huh, Pam? Yeah. So we're going to pray a prayer that begins you in that process where you just put your faith in Jesus and begin this journey. And these folks out here, a lot of them have started that journey, so they're going to pray with us to be an encouragement to you. And this is God's word, so it's truth. And so I invite you to just pray it with me. So just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I want a new life. So I ask you to forgive me. For you promised, if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just to forgive me for my sins and cleanse me from all impurity. So I believe you're doing that right now. And I invite you to make me the person you designed for me to be. And I thank you, according to your scripture, that if I put my faith in you, I become your child. Thank you for bringing me home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's great. That's good.